almost done. 24 chapters in Luke. We're on chapter 20 today. So grab your Bible. Let's think about Luke chapter 20. What does Jesus say is important? So as we come to Luke 20, we're going to find some interactions that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. And these interactions, obviously, this is how the scriptures are. Understand this, how the, why the word of God or how the word of God works. They were obviously specific to the people involved at that time. It's a narrative. Narrative means story. So it's telling a story about something that happened under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it was about the specific people at that specific time, but there's a reason why God had it included, it written down and preserved and kept for us. Because it's not just about for them, but it's also for us. And so there's some, there's, I think, something really culturally um, relevant and important that we're going to come to today as we look at Luke chapter 20. So we're going to read um, the first 19 verses. So follow along with me here. It says, and on one of the days while he was teaching, and he is who? Jesus. The people in the temple and the, pre- and the preaching of the God... So on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. How'd you like that? It's always happening to him. They're always getting in his face. And they spoke, saying uh, to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. And we'll explain what that's referring to in a minute. And who is the one who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question and you tell me. Was the baptism of John, so John the Baptist, from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you but why, what authority I do these things. So understand, if we're going far now, he's going to tell a story now, in response or continuing on with his interaction here. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And at harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one was also wounded and cast out. And the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they responded with one another, or they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected 
this became the chief cornerstone. And whoever falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will be scattered, it will scatter him like dust. And the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him at that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. We'll stop right there. First of all, let's see what's going on in this text. So Jesus was teaching and leading, uh, and the leading priests and the elite Pharisees um, come to him and they challenge his authority. They basically say, who do you think you are doing the things that you're doing? See, just before this encounter, in the very, very verses just before this, Jesus had done something. He had gone into the temple and he had driven out all the money changers and all the people who were selling stuff from the temple. And he said, and where that was very significant, they were located in the, in the court of the Gentiles. That's where they would have been. He drives them out of the court of Gentiles, sending a message saying something different is happening. Other people are going to be welcomed in. He's going to give the vineyard to somebody else. And then he says, my house will be a house of prayer. And what happened when he did it? He ticked them all off. They all got mad at him. Why? Because Jesus was messing with their nice, little, profitable, religious, controlled, and able to control the masses system that they had set up. So it says in chapter 19, right before this, about that cleansing the temple, in verse 47 it says, and they started to plan how to kill Jesus. So in chapter 20, that same group of religious leaders come to Jesus and they question, how can he possibly think he has the authority to do what he's doing? Like drive out the money changers and the sellers of of sacrifices out of the court of the Gentiles. Who does he think he is to do this stuff? You know, this is our turf. Who do you think you are doing what you do? So Jesus, instead of just answering their question, he could have said, well, I'm from God. But to set them up for what the parable is going to do, he asks them a question. He said, so if you want to know about authority, you tell me by what authority did John the Baptist minister? Was his authority from man? Was he just making it up or was it from God? And, and it says they reasoned together um, uh, you know, and they, they didn't realize that, that they, re- they refused to answer, rather, as they reasoned together, because like Jesus, they didn't really believe John was from God. But they were afraid of the crowd, because they said, if we say, well, you know, he was just a hack like you, they said they would have picked up stones and killed them. They would have stoned them to death, because they believed, the masses rightfully believed, that John had been sent from God, and they knew if they discredited John... The, mat, the mob would turn against them. So Jesus tells them a parable to show them how they and their ancestors had continually got it wrong when it came to knowing what was from God. They continually got it wrong in figuring out who was coming and ministering under the authority or by the authority of God. 
And that's what this parable about vineyards is all about. He's not talking about vineyards. He said, I'm telling a story to explain to you what's going on. And in the parable, just really quickly, the vineyard is Israel. It's the people of God. And the tenant farmers are the religious leaders. And the servants, he says, that keep coming to it are the prophets and the priests sent to Israel. And every time they were sent by God and the authority of God to Israel, what, what happened to them? They were mistreated, they were rejected, and many of them were killed. And so what happens? The son in the story, who's the son? Jesus. The one who he's saying, and you're going to kill me. And then the others that are given the vineyard is a foreshadowing of the Gentiles. He just cleaned out the... Um, the court of the Gentiles, saying, listen, my kingdom's going to come among the Gentiles, and you don't even believe that's possible. And what it says in the text here is those listening, it says they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You rejected everyone sent to you by God, and now you're rejecting me. They completely understood what the story meant. They were once again rejecting one sent to them from God, one who came to help them and bless them and point them in the right direction, yet they once again rejected him. So then Jesus goes on to quote from the Psalms. And he says this, The stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. What's Jesus saying here? They, they understood it. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, it's been a big deal that you have continually rejected the prophets and the priests that God has sent to you. They're the ones in the vineyard. You constantly, they came and they came and they came and you heard them and you despised them and you rejected them. He says, but something's different now. He says, but by rejecting me is a much bigger deal. He says, I'm, what he's saying is, I'm the cornerstone. I'm what everything is built upon. I'm God himself coming to you to rescue you, to reveal myself to you, yet you are rejecting me just like you rejected everyone else. And then Jesus says something really interesting. And it's a thing that I think has great relevance to us today in the culture that we live in as people who are followers of God. He says this, He says, everyone who falls on that stone, the cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter them like dust. And this is what's going on here. Jesus is showing them and us that there's really two different kinds of interaction with him, him coming in the authority of God, him being the cornerstone, him being the one everything must be built upon. There's really two different kinds of interactions, two different reactions to him. One can either fall on him and be broken, or eventually one can reject him and eventually be crushed and scattered and destroyed like dust. And I really think this is super relevant for us today. You see, I think most of us probably get the second part of this. 
This idea that if someone rejects Jesus, rejects his love, rejects his grace, rejects his forgiveness, um, that that's disastrous. I think we get that. That one is rejecting the very gift of eternal life that can only come through aligning their lives with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That rejecting Jesus is choosing to stay in sin and refusing God's grace. And that God will let a person do that if they want, but the results are pain and separation and eternal lostness. I think, as the most part, we get this. I think for some of us, it's why we, why we came, came to Christ in the first place. We understood that there's no life apart from him. The only real life is, is coming to him, and I don't want to be crushed in the end. I need forgiveness, and I need his love, and so we turn to Jesus. So I think we kind of get that part of what Jesus is saying here from the Psalms. But I'm not so sure we get the first part. And it's the first part that I believe is tied to the people who don't reject him, who do receive him. And it says this, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken. Everyone who falls on the cornerstone will be broken. You see, I'm afraid that there's been a version of the gospel that has become incredibly popular in our culture. And it fails to grasp this idea of falling on Jesus and being broken. The idea of coming to Christ, the idea that coming to Christ is costly. And we see it throughout the entire New Testament, that coming to Christ is costly and that it will require you to change and to grow. And that will be, that will be a, a path, that the, the only path of true joy and true freedom comes through that brokenness. It takes a breaking of old habits and old beliefs and old activities and old thinking along the way. That coming to Jesus isn't just about adding Jesus onto my life and going on. The Hindus do that. He's just one more God in a, in a pantheon of gods. But the true nature of Christianity, it's about a posture of brokenness. That we live in such a way that we acknowledge his supremacy in all ways, in all areas of our lives. And we live by his standards according to his values, the way that he says is right, primarily revealed to us through his word. Our old ways are broken away so we can now live according to and under by the blessing of his better ways. Therefore, if his ways are contrary to our ways, we make a choice. We say, here's the path that I've always walked on. Here's the path maybe I even enjoy, but I clearly see that that God's path is this way. And I make a choice. I say, I'm going to reject that and live this. We choose to follow in his ways as we walk with him. And to do that, it's about brokenness. It's about saying, I gotta, I gotta shatter some things in me. It's about willingly embracing God's ways, knowing that his ways are always the best. 
even if the choice to walk in his ways is difficult, my, it might even call, call, require suffering and requires some submission of my old ways and my old thinking. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And isn't that exactly what we see throughout the Bible? <coughs> isn't that what we see that happened to the Apostle Paul? Think of Apostle Paul. What was he at first before we think of him as the great Apostle Paul? He was Saul of Tarsus. Who was Saul? Saul was a religious stud. He was a zealot. He was imprisoning and killing Christians because he honestly thought in his heart they were heretics. He thought they were defaming the God of Israel. And he was strong and he was bold and he was self-assured And he said, I'll have none of it. But guess what else he was? He was flat wrong. He was wrong. His old thinking was wrong. His old way was wrong. His old actions were wrong. The very God he thought he was defending, he was actually fighting against. And what happened? He recognized his need. He recognizes there. Now, when you're going down the road on the road to Damascus and a bright light shines and knocks you off your horse and blinds you for three days and God sends somebody to pray for you and scales fall off your eyes and what's the man say to you? Um, here's what you must suffer to follow Jesus. That's a pretty, that's a pretty bold encounter. But what happened? He fell on the rock. And he, and he, He changes. He has a a desperation for Jesus that surpasses everything else in his life. Matter of fact, he says something amazing. He counts all his past life, his accomplishments, his possessions, his position. He says, I count it as dung. In light of surpassing knowledge and glory of knowing Jesus. It's brokenness. He fell on the rock. And it broke away a lot of the junk. Isn't this exactly what happened to the prophet Isaiah? The prophet Isaiah who's who's worshiping God in the temple. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6 with me. (coughs) Excuse me. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, starting in the very beginning. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted, with his train of his robe filling the temple. So he's in the temple, and he has a vision. This is his vision. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the fountains of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out with the, trump, with the temple um, was fil- while the temple was filling with smoke. Then Isaiah. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with a tongs. 
And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. Look at Isaiah. A prophet. He was broken. He comes into an encounter with the living God like we come into an encounter with Jesus. And he saw himself as a sinful man. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And he knew that he needed forgiveness and restoration that only came by falling before the Lord. That he's not some lost rubble, rubble against God. He's a prophet of Israel. See, walking with God, walking with Jesus is about surrendering our ways for better ways. And I'm trying to point out here is the need for all of us to be serious-minded about our living with Jesus. Being willing to let Him break us and reshape us. Not being a Hindu, who just adds Jesus on the plethora of our already existing gods of everything else that our culture elevates and tells us to worship. They say, well, I'll just worship Jesus along with everything else I worship in my life. Think of all the worshiping going on this afternoon at 5.30. Honestly, real worshiping. Of grown men running around like kids on a football field. Now, I like football, but I sure don't worship a team. But think about how people actually worth to it. Give their energy and their effort and their resources and their mind's energy to it. That's what worship is all about. But God is calling us to something so much better. See, it's so easy to be obsessed with all the activities and all the responsibilities and all the distractions in our lives. And for Jesus to not really be the cornerstone the main building block of our lives, the thing that everything relies on and stands upon and draws its strength from, because that's what a cornerstone does. We may say he is, but oftentimes our lives don't seem to say that that is true. Either we're preoccupied with everything other than Jesus, or we simply refuse to grow and to change. We're the same as we were five years ago and 10 years ago and 20 years ago. We're not growing in Christ at all, which tells me we're not falling on the rock and letting that stuff be broken away and be rebuilt by His love. So what do we do? We fall on the stone so the junk in our lives will be broken away. We fall at the feet of Jesus and we ask Him to help us, to shape us, to forgive us, to re-narrate our thinking, to give us a new fresh vision on how He wants our lives to be lived because we understand it's all about His vision and not about my vision. It never has been about my vision. It's about His vision for you and me. We fall at the feet of Jesus. We give Him permission to break away anything that's keeping us from maturing in Christ's likeness. And when I say anything, I mean anything. Anything that's standing in the way of growth. It's a very bold example He used. It's a, it's a rock that we either fall on and it's hard 
It's love too, but it's hard and it breaks things away or it will crush us. And it says we'll be dust and be blown away. My thought is, what is God pointing out in our lives today? What is God putting his finger on in his great love? There's no way you could be in this place and not feel the love of God today. This is all about his love of helping us. He, he breaks stuff away to make us better so we can live in true life and real life and empowered life in him. What's he pointing out today that needs to be broken? What needs to be broken away in my life? What needs to be broken away in your life? What needs to be given up? What needs to be renounced? What needs to be ended? What needs to be confessed and repented of? Admitted it's wrong and change your direction. What is it? What are those things? I can't tell you what they are. But God can. And I believe by His Spirit and His love, He is. I think He's doing it right now. He's helping us feel inside that, God, I want to go all in. I don't want to be halfway. I want to be like I don't want to be the religious guy like the crowd that, that Jesus came and just didn't get it. And they missed John. They missed Jesus. They missed Isaiah. I want to be like Paul, who I'm willing to say all these things I've been depending on forever. God, take them all away, break them all away, crush them all away, and make me change my name. I want to be Saul anymore. I want to be Paul. I want to be Isaiah after the encounter. And understand, friends, it's not a one-time encounter. It's, it goes on and on. In love, it goes on and on to shape us and fold, mold us and, and conform us into the best version of us that we can be the picture that God has for you from the beginning of time. Not limited by our culture, our postmodern anti-Christian culture that is the predominant culture of our day. We're being shaped, if we're shaped by that, we need to fall on the rock and allow a lot of this thinking, value system to break away. So what's the best possible way I think we can do this today? Respond. It's through communion. Communion as a way of welcoming Jesus' activity into our lives. A way of falling on the rock so we can be broken and remade. Because you're going to hold in your hands in a couple of minutes the bread the body of Christ, the cup, the blood of Christ. You're going to hold this in your hands tangibly. And you have to react to it, interact with it. We're going to end today by coming to Jesus in communion, the most tangible representation of his presence that he gave the church. So what's going to happen today is myself and our deacons are going to be up here, two on this side and two on this side, and and we are going to serve you as you come down these aisles primarily. And we're going to serve you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And what we're going to do is, in a moment, um, Pastor Mitch is going to come and start playing on the keyboard. And when you feel ready, There's something the Lord's going to bring to your mind, I believe, today. When you're ready to fall on the rock, 
And it should be a regular part of life. doesn't mean you gotta be, there's got to be something that's saying, oh, no, before I take communion, I've got to think of the fact that I've been you know, cheating on my taxes and repent of it. No, I'm hoping that's not true for any of us. But attitudes, what heart, maybe, maybe it's just a, a, an admission. God, I want this in my life. I want a, live, a life of brokenness before you. And when you're ready, you come down, and we will serve you. And then you find a place. Go back to your chair. You can find a place up here. You find a place and you just sit with Jesus. And you're going to have the bread and the cup. And you make a commitment that says, I'm all in with you. Break away whatever. Take away whatever. You're going to fall on the rock and give him all of yourself when you feel ready. Then when you're done, Stay and, and pray and worship, sitting at the feet of Jesus. When you feel dismissed by the Spirit then, this will be our ending. When you feel dismissed by the Spirit, then quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. When you're ready, come and receive communion.